Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Also, ESPN's debatable, a digital exclusive series across our networks, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube channels, the app. It is now available as a podcast. You guys might know uh, I show up time to time, typically on Fridays with Pablo and Dominique. So if you can't catch it uh, on social, you can now listen to us as soon as we are finished taping on a podcast. Uh, it involves a rotating team of voices, many of whom you probably know, take on topics from around the sports world right now in NFL. So check out Debatable wherever you listen to your pods. Welcome back to the Mini Crime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks the Giants and the Jets should play at Mutt Life Stadium. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, and I am joined today by recurring guests, so I feel like it's been a while. Field Yates. Mina, first of all, um, it's great to be back on. I think the last time we talked was when we previewed the AFC South leading into the season. And you and I tried probably a half dozen times to find a good date to both talk about the AFC South. And for legitimate reasons, like things that are actually worth delaying the podcast for, we continue to put it off and put it off and put it off. And we finally got to it. I think that was in August at some point. So it's been whatever, three or four months. But you and I fortunately see each other every week now in Bristol during your travels, mm -hmm. NFL Live together. We play in a fantasy football league together. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you're not sick of me by now. Um, no, I'm not sick of you. I'm delighted to have you back on, especially in between these Bills Patriots showdowns, which uh, I've, I kind of like targeted this because seeing when, when I saw they were playing each other two weeks apart in December, I thought, oh God, I like really want to talk to Field about this because it's like two meaningful teams. And so this worked out. We're going to talk about those teams who are going to meet again, talk about Bill's Bucks. This, this whole weekend slate is crazy. So we're going to do Bill's Bucks. We're going to do Cowboys Washington. We're going we're gonna to do Ravens Browns. I, I, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. But first, I, you broke a piece of news. Well, you broke it to me. I don't know who broke the news, but um, you informed me of something right before we started taping, which is that the Chargers have no wide receivers in their coming tilt with the Giants. Yeah, I think you're going to start running some go routes after the podcast to see if you might have what it takes because, and just for full transparency, we're having this conversation uh, 4.30 on the East Coast on yes. Wednesday. So this information could change uh, at any time. But Mike Williams, Chargers wide receiver, and Chris Harris Jr., Chargers defensive back, have both been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. This comes on the heels of Keenan Allen landing on the reserve COVID-19 list on Monday. Mm. As we know in the NFL, if you're an unvaccinated player, that puts you out for a minimum of 10 days if you test positive. If you are an unvaccinated player, you can still be a high-risk close contact, which could have you back in the building. That was the case with another charger, Joey Bosa, uh, not that long ago. Uh, but the Chargers, as of this conversation, are staring down the legitimate possibility that their wide receiver room on Sunday against the Giants would be led by Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer, two names that certainly don't have the credentials of two guys in Mike Williams, who's been amazing this year, at least at the beginning of the season, and Keenan Allen, who's one of the best wide receivers in football. Jalen Guyton had that sick catch um, 
against the Bengals on Sunday where Justin Herbert, it, it was not like a great throw. It was just an insane throw, right? You, you know what I'm talking about when Justin Herbert threw it. I think like approximately 300 air yards across his body from the opposite hash and Guyton came back for it. And you were joking about go routes earlier, but I'm like, build this whole thing out of Austin Eckler and go routes to Jalen Guyton. And uh, but no, Josh Palmer is can be, I think, more of an underneath guy for them. And, and they've used him some. It uh, looks like Andre Roberts is also on this depth chart. But shoot, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, we are not preview. I, I saw the game and I was like, eh, you know, I don't want to talk about it, whatever. But it just got a little bit, a little bit dicier for the Chargers. So, um, yeah, put a pin in that. Uh, I mean, is that we're at this point of the season, and not that you don't know this, but everybody I'm sure is aware of it. Just like the margin for error in the AFC is so significantly slim that if you don't have your two top receivers against the team of the Giants, who's not been very good this year, they're four and eight, but still they typically play friskier defense and they do offense, obviously. And not that long ago, they kind of like they've found a couple of moments. They've showed well in a couple of moments. They beat the Eagles a couple of weeks ago. They played Kansas City tough on Monday Night Football for about three quarters of that game. So uh, I'm not saying that the Chargers are no longer favorites in this game, at least in my estimation, but a loss, an uh, an uncharacteristic loss or a non-projected loss at this point of the season could be the difference between a team either making the playoffs and not making the playoffs or the difference between the fifth or sixth spot in the AFC or potentially the seventh spot in the AFC, which means the longest and most difficult road to the Super Bowl. It's huge. Yeah, right. Because the well, I guess it would be the Pats. Um, they might yeah. end up paying the Pats at this point, which is a, a good segue to our next discussion. So here's how I want to phrase it. We're coming off of the, uh, what was the final score? Was it 14 to 10? 14 to 10. 14 to 10. Okay. So we're coming across the has anyone given it a name also? The three throws game, perhaps? Or I like that. Yeah. Three throws. Yeah. Three throws. So um it it so look, there are only so many things to take away from a game like this. If you're listening right. to this podcast, I assume you know that the Bills and the Patriots played on Monday night. There was 50 mile hour gusts, which are different from winds. I don't know. And the Patriots won. They threw Mac Jones threw the ball three times um, and a bunch of zany stuff happened. And it was one of the weirdest football games I've ever seen. I don't want to talk about what happened. What I want to start off by asking you is first, I want to look ahead to the next time these two teams meet, because there are tremendous ramifications for the bills who suddenly Look, their schedule, they've got the, the the Bucks this week, and then they got the pass. The other three games are very winnable. Off the top of my head, it's like Panthers, Jets, and Giants, maybe? It's I believe it's the Falcons. Yeah. The Falcons. Falcons, okay. Yep. No, well, Falcons are feisty, so you never know. But point is, they got two really challenging ones. And it kind of feels like, you know, they got to win one of those to lock it in and not have to worry about other stuff happening. So I want to start first by talking about the next Bills-Patriots game which will ostensibly be in at least relatively normal weather conditions. Then I want to talk about the Bucks, And let me start by asking you this. What did you take away from this last game that you think might actually matter the next time these teams play? So I will say this is I'm trying to do my best to not overreact to just one game or even just one set of comments coming out of that game. 
At the same time, it was probably the most notable Monday night game we've had this season, right? And, and mostly due to the circumstances and the quirkiness of it. So it feels like there has been a lot thought of and put into this game. But the Bills, during the broadcast, I thought there was something instructive said by the broadcasting booth on the, the normal ESPN game cast, not the Manning cast. I think um, it was Lewis Riddick who was talking about how um, – you know, Sean McDermott has always believed in one thing as a coach, and that was his own it was physicality. And the reason why physicality mattered to him was because as a player, he wasn't this dynamic athlete. He wasn't this guy that had great size or speed. But what he could control was how tough and how hard he played, play in and play out. And I am not trying to make this about establishing the run or trying to decipher whether you have to be able to run the football to play action pass. But what I do think we saw a little bit of on Monday night, Mina, was that the Patriots, I think, obviously have the physical edge on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I do think that the physical edge has the opportunity to manifest a mental edge as well. And I thought that part of Monday night was a little bit of a mental matchup, right? The Patriots throwing the football so infrequently was atypical, obviously, and certainly weather-driven. And I know that the numbers are not gaudy. They're not like they ran for 350 yards on 40 carries or something. But it was enough to get the job done. At the end of the day, they're telling themselves, we got the job done by being the more physical and more dominant team. And I know that the Bills have an incredibly gifted passing offense. They have plenty of weapons. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen form one of the five most dynamic quarterback and wide receiver combos that the NFL offers. But at some point, there may be some opportunities where they're going to need to be able to overwhelm a team at the line of scrimmage and that's what I think is important to take from Monday night is what sort of gut check moments do the Bills bring when these two teams play in two weeks? Because if it's more of the same, then it may be a comparable result for the Patriots because they can obviously not just run the football effectively, but also, as you mentioned, we think in two weeks from right now, the weather will be much more normal and they can also throw the football effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's all correct. Sean McDermott looked so pissed the whole time. But um, I, I think for, like, again, looking forward, what matters is, like, it's look, the, the, the Bills aren't going to have to play the, the style of football that was demanded of this last game. But when you look back on it, the, the, the Bills got into the red zone three times, I think, without I think scoring. Total. Yep, if you include the time in which they you know, the 13-yard drive, which they scored their lone touchdown of the night when uh, Nikhil Harry was fielding a punt for the Patriots and it grazed off his helmet. So that was one of their four trips, but otherwise three other trips as well. So, so you know, Matt Braid fumbles, right? And let, let's say he doesn't fumble. It's like, okay, who knows if they score? I think that was like at the 19 or something. Right. Anyways, and, and then um, you have the missed field goal and where they, they um, turned over on downs at the end. And watching it, I was thinking, okay, first of all, if they score on any of these times, we are talking about a completely, like the conversation on Monday would be not, wow, Bill Belichick's a genius, but like, wow, Bill Belichick really doesn't trust Mac Jones. What the hell? Or or actually, that probably wouldn't be the case because he would have had to have, throw, right? So He would have thrown it, totally. The 100%. dynamic would have been totally different, and that's fine. But um, I, I do think, again, spinning it forward, you can't, count on like those things won't happen the fumble perhaps the fumbles whatever josh allen's gonna be able to throw it out whatever but there will be situations where buffalo is going to have to either stop the run or run the ball and i think Mm -hmm. as a bills fan you come out of this 
game wondering, can we do either? We're not going to have to do it to the extent that we did this last time. But when we meet again, you know, at Foxborough, like if we're in short yardage, like are they going to, will they give the ball to Josh Allen, which inexplicably only had six carries, which is maybe the thing that made me the angriest about the game plan. On the flip side, like if, you know, the, it, the Patriots showed that they can run on us at will. And there are people who will say, well, you know, outside of the one big run, it's like only 3.8 yards per carry. No. If you've got 10 dudes plus in the box and they're even generating more than three yards a carry, they can run at you at will, right? Like that that's that shows that they have that ability. So the first thing I think, I think the Bills can improve upon. And even within the game, you saw they had some success running with Zach Moss between the tackles. And I think, you know, in a different environment, Breda has more Breda does better. And I think Josh Allen also um, will probably keep it. The other thing field is what I'm worried about. I am not sure the bills have the capacity from a personnel perspective to stop the new England offense. That could be the case, Mina. And I think that one thing that, and not that we could, there was no control over this, but what we didn't find out on Monday night is how the Bills' defense is going to be equipped in the passing game without Tredavious White, who yes, well, got hurt just before halftime on Thanksgiving against the yeah. Saints. And that game, I consider it a wash anyways. The Saints are so understaffed because what we're not trying to figure out is how the Bills are equipped to slow down a Taysom Hill-led Saints offense or – when they play the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, and that offense. What we're trying to figure out is what level of capacity do the Bills have if they play the Patriots or the Chiefs or the Colts again or the Chargers or one of these teams that is dynamic right now. And I think the Patriots and Colts, probably the the, the, the bread and butter of their offense will be running the football. But the Patriots, like in recent weeks, Mac Jones has been spinning it now. Like he has not been, I know that this was a very, I mean, this was, I mean, I don't even know what the word is. What is conservative to the max? Whatever that is, obviously that was what the Patriots passing game plan was this past Monday night. But like Carson Wentz has had his moments as a passer this year. Mac Jones had his moments as a passer this year. So it's a fair question. And um, you're right. Is that like, I think, you know, Monday night was the extreme uh, and, and there's no two ways about it, but there are for people who want to counter like, you know, this doesn't matter. Like, you know, running the ball and being able to defend the run has been proven in recent years to not be that essential to winning. Well, the bills in, and I know there, I think there was one of the loss that I missed in there. I think it might be the Jacksonville loss, but two of their last three losses have been against the Patriots and the Colts who yeah. literally jam the football down their throat. And maybe it's a little bit more difficult to do if you fall behind but if the Bills get down 14 nothing, and a team is playing ground control offense like the Patriots and the Colts did in recent games that have worked against the Bills, that's going to be difficult to overcome. And it feels to me, and maybe this is just overthinking things a little bit, but it feels like the Bills passing offense has been a little bit less lethal and a little bit less, you know, the, the Staples easy button that people often you see around a desk or around an office somewhere. Like the Bills have slapped mm. that a little bit less this year. Things that came a little bit more effortless, effortlessly last year have not been quite as prevalent this year, which these are not causes for major concern to the, to the effect that the Bills can't win the Super Bowl this year. Because I legitimately believe that they are one of the eight or ten teams that can but compared to where they were at the beginning of the season, when it looks like after they went to Kansas City and won 27-3, that they were the team to beat in the conference, they now feel like they're much more part of an open race. I agree with that. I, You know, 
First, I'll think, I think like what you just said about like them falling behind. I really think that's just it. Like Buffalo, I do think they can beat New, New England at Foxborough. I want to be clear about that, but they can't fall behind. I, I just feel like because what to stop New England's offense, you have to be in a situation where you can get after Mac Jones, um, who has been very, very good on play action. Now the Bills defense has been very, very good at stopping play action, but that's all numbers with Trey White. We haven't like seen what this passing defense really looks like, right? And that we'll get to the box in a second. But um offensively, I absolutely I, I do think that they have been contained to some degree by those two high shell looks. You've seen Josh Allen kind of run into the same frustration that other quarterbacks around the league have. Um, they can still move the ball. Uh, and I'll be curious to see how New England plays them in a normal situation. It's You know, in this, in this game, because Buffalo was actually passing, <laughs> unlike uh, the Pats, you did get a look at sort of I was curious to see, okay, this is this New England offense, as you know, um, they don't, they mostly play with uh, Devin McCourty as like a center fielder, whether they're playing man free or cover three, he's back there. They don't usually use uh, those two high looks and they didn't in this game, but it was such a weird game that it was kind of hard to come away with it. I'll be curious to see if they stick with that approach because it, I did it, like it was working, but again, like the win was so insane. Um, and I thought Josh Allen still made some really sick throws, but I I believe in his ability to, while I agree with you, like there's been some ups and downs. I don't think it's inconceivable that the Bills offense does strike and strike with success. Um, but I do think it's important that they do it soon in this particular matchup. I agree. And what I will say, Mina, is I, I was, I'm trying to resist overthinking or overreacting to comments that were made after a game because I've always felt like comments made following any game should probably be taken with a block of salt given that, especially when you're the losing team, right? I mean, you just went through three hours of an emotionally draining contest and you came up on the short end of the stick, right? Um, but there were some comments made and I've been following the coverage closely of really tapped in and excellent beat reporters in Buffalo who are around there every single day that have that maybe suggest that head coach Sean McDermott wants a bit more physicality in establishing the run or you know at least being able to have incorporating or incorporating some elements of the running game that we're not seeing enough of from Buffalo. Now, I think the counterpoint to that is last year the Bills were one of the most effective offenses in football and there was, you know, notable streaks where they throw the ball 17 straight times and score 14 points in those 17 plays and no one will bat an eyelash about not being able to run the ball. It feels like this year, though, there might be greater urgency to incorporate that. So I do want to see how this team responds over the next three games. The Bucks being a big challenge this upcoming week and then the Patriots, who they play in week 16, obviously being a huge challenge as well. So I'll be watching closely, not just how the Bills offense, not, not just the number of points they score or don't score, but just how they're getting the job done, because I do think that has some application to January football for them. For for sure, I thought they were coming off of the um they played the Saints right uh, yeah uh on Thanksgiving um did the Bills play Saints right it was the Saints they played right? the Saints and they played the Patriots I believe the, the schedule the follows it goes this up yes. the the 
the Bucks, and then they have a game. I believe it's Atlanta, and then New England, and then Carolina, and then they finish off so with the Jets. In the Saints game, I don't know if you remember, but like the opening script, they ran it a ton. And I, yeah. watching that, I was like, "Oh, this is Brian Dable getting ready for the Pats," you know? Like, <laughs> um, and then it was like, I, I, again, just like the weather was so weird. I, they also, I thought they would have John Feliciano. Um, they're starting guard. They didn't have him for this game. Yep. I imagine he'll be back soon. I will say though, and this is a good, I guess, way to segue to the actual, the game this weekend. Don't expect them to run a lot against Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, because no one runs the ball. Well, has any, has any team succeeded in running the ball in Tampa this year? It feels like no. Off the top of my head, there hasn't been a team that's been particularly successful doing it. Um, and I, I really can't think of anybody that has. And, for context, I mean, probably the closest thing to it is the Colts, who, as we know, have the most dominant running game in the NFL right now and the best running back in the NFL with Derrick Henry on the shelf and Jonathan Taylor. And there was a point in which Tampa and Indianapolis played, and they threw the ball 22 straight times, 22 straight times. And their head coach, Frank Reich, always thoughtful, dug deep into why that was the case oh, a couple the RPOs, of days later. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I, I'm not here to challenge Frank Reich. Um, especially when he gives that kind of context to it. But you're right, Mina, like if, if you want the Bills to ground and pound, like don't watch the game on Sunday because the better avenue is to test what has been an extremely banged up Bucks secondary this year and certainly the strength of their team, well, not the team, of the defense remains that dominant defensive line that has probably the best run-stuffing middle-of-the-field player yeah. in Vinavea and then a bunch of guys right next to him or right around him that continue to do dominant things this year. Sue looks really good too. He's been kind of up and down this season, but and granted, Dylan offensive line isn't exactly great shakes, but the combination of those guys on the inside and you know they've kind of dialed it down a little bit with JPP, who's obviously injured. Um, moving Joe Tryon Shinka. Actually, is Joe Tryon or Joe Tryon Shinka? For some reason, I saw somewhere he continues to use his hyphenated name. Okay, the hyphenated. Okay, Tryon Tryon in college, and then. Okay. Added the hyphenated name for the pros. So they've been moving him around, and it, 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 to me, it's just a matter of like, can the Bills' offensive line, which is again getting healthy, you know, with Spencer Brown coming back last week, can they um, hold off the attack long enough for Josh Allen to, to take advantage of what continues to be a banged up secondary? So on that front, um, looks like Sean Murphy Bunting is fine. I think Jamel uh, Dean might play he, I, you know he's in concussion protocol if i if you can carlton davis came back but but they do not have their safeties outside of antoine winfield jr um edwards is still out because this is a fake vax card suspension and then jordan whitehead got hurt so there's that de- that's definitely still like the one weakness i think on this bucks team so for the bills it all just comes down to whether or not um allen has time to take advantage of it yeah, and along those lines, by the way, that's why we've seen news that Richard Sherman, who was designated as a term to return from practice today, is going to take reps at safety now, which um, that I think is probably a byproduct of two things. Like, I think it's probably a byproduct of their need at safety. And also, you know, Richard Sherman is a guy who's dealt with multiple injuries already this year. Like, not too many positions test hamstrings or calves as much as playing quarterback, right? You're constantly riding up and down the field and Tampa plays in extremely hot weather, even in December, like cramps are easy to come by. Safety is a spot where you can tap into obviously his, you know, unparalleled football IQ. We've seen a lot of cornerbacks in the, you know, sort of the final stages of their career successfully do this. And it wouldn't surprise me if this is a transition that sounds daunting on paper, but Richard handles pretty adeptly given 
how long he's been in the league, how much he's seen, his understanding of just sort of every position on the field as it were. So, but then it's also a testament to the fact that like they need him right now. And who would have thought that, that a guy who was unsigned at the beginning of the season is now going to be potentially a critical spot for them uh, in a position where they were super thin. I mean, they, they have been super thin for much of this season. Mm. Well, on the other side of the ball, you know, I talked a little bit about uh, Josh Allen seeing <laughs> cover to Tom Brady, not against Atlanta, but generally has also been getting a lot of too high this season. And I imagine, Field, that's what the Bucks will do. <laughs> I mean, they, they already play a fair amount of it. Um, they already are like not a blitz heavy team. They're able to get pressure without it. I suspect that, especially without Tredavious White, who I feel like his absence could really be felt in this game, much certainly more so than Sunday, um, the Bills' goal is going to be keep everything in front of us, Ben, don't break. Mm. Yeah, I think so too, but I got to be honest with you. I think the Bucs are going to not follow the exact game plan for the Patriots, but I think they're going to be planning a comparable game plan to what we saw from New England this past week. Not to the extreme, obviously, but... The Bucks' offensive line is right there with New England's in the running game, right? They're both outstanding. And they're probably saying to themselves, we can do that to Buffalo, right? And we're defensively good enough that we can run the football and not, not expect Buffalo to score 31 against our defense. But if they're lighting up our defense, easy enough for us to, you know, to, to flip the switch and go back to being a pass-heavy offense. But I, I think there's a chance that this Bucks team adopts that mentality this upcoming week and you know, we can talk about Tom Brady as much or as little as we want. One thing that I think is like when I think about Tom Brady and what's made him so, so good for so, so long, and this is sort of like simplistic, but Tom Brady has for 20 years been able to identify what you do poorly and yeah. attack that as a result. And not that Tom Brady is running, but if he gets favorable looks all week or excuse me, all Sunday, I don't think he's going to have any hesitation in checking yes. into runs for Leonard Fournette, checking into runs for Ronald Jones on occasion. Like he's seen the same film that I'm sure everybody else has seen since Monday night. And this is just how the Bills have built their roster, but they have a couple of linebackers who, you know, they think the contrast in linebacking play, and not saying one is better than the other, but the style of linebackers the Patriots employ versus the kind of linebackers the, the Bills employ was really stark on Monday night, right? You've got yeah. two guys on New England who want to bite your head off and you got two guys in Buffalo who are outstanding athletes, but just don't have the lead in the trunk to hold up. You know, if Trent Brown gets his hands on Matt Milano, that's like a 150 pound difference right there. Right. I mean, that's just hard for any guy to overcome. So wouldn't be surprised if we see the, uh, the, the Bucks say, yeah, we'll, we'll throw it if we need to, but we have but, no issue just jamming yeah. the football down your throat. This feels like a Gronk Fournette game, which totally. is what I, I I feel like I maybe have been saying this too much, but it's what makes the Bucks to me so dangerous is that they are they can beat every kind of defense and they're willing to do it. Like Tom Brady is perfectly happy, as you said, to either hand it off or dink and dunk. He's getting the ball out super quick this year, or when he gets you know. Um, like, I don't know, in LA is a certain in Atlanta or whatever, he'll throw it a lot. And then, yeah. then it'll be a combination of like, you know, more explosive plays and screens. I think they threw a ton of screens in that game. But you're right. Like, the everybody watched the Bills and the Bucks' offensive line, um, one is very good, very good at run blocking. I think they're totally fine, uh, leaning into that side of their game. And, yeah, I, I, it's actually kind of similar to the Pats, where to me, I'm like, I, again, I, I look to Josh Allen. I, it's It feels the same. It's like, okay, Josh, 
can you do it? You know, like, yeah. can, can this, uh, you know, this Bills offense, like, can you beat the Bucks secondary? Can you evade the pass rush? Can you take off when the opportunities are there? You are your team's best chance right now. And I'm not counting them out, but it's definitely going to be a challenge. I'm certainly not ch- not counting them out, and I don't think that their season is dependent upon what happens on Sunday. They would be if they if they win, yeah. they go to eight and five. Um, if they lose, they go to seven and six. It's not like you know that's the end of their season. Far from it. They'd be still very much in the AFC playoff picture, and they're still a good team. Specific to this game, you know, fa- starting fast is a cliche that coaches lean on all the time, and it's not like any team wants to wait until the third quarter to start scoring points. But I don't know that I can overstate the importance of a solid start for Buffalo on Sunday just because the emotions of Monday night are going to run over until – I mean, I know they're going to turn the page, and they probably already have, right? But there's no way that if you're a Bills player, you don't feel more anxious to get back on the field Sunday to try to get rid of that taste in your mouth from Monday night, which was disappointing. We saw it in the players addressing the media after the game. And I think a big, fast, emotional start on Sunday can go along to a long ways to them uh, winning this game, like if they fall behind fourteen to nothing, like that's going to be just a not insurmountable, but a really difficult task for them to overcome. Not just because Tampa is really good, but like everything that you've been thinking about all week that's just been festering during the practice week when you're flying down to Tampa Bay. I think that could be the kind of thing that the Bills are focused on this week. Like we need to start fast. We can ill afford to fall behind. We need to take all this energy and all this emotion that we've been fighting the urge to probably express publicly and pour it into Sunday afternoon. So let's stay in the division and talk about the Dolphins, a team that I've not really gotten into extensively. Right now, it depends on what model you look at. New York Times has them with a 6% chance of making the playoffs. However, they are on a five-game winning streak. This is a team that started... Am I wrong? Was it one and seven or yeah? So now they're six and seven. Yeah, which is remarkable. And they're a team kind of at a crossroads because I think earlier in the season, questions are being raised: Are they going to fire everyone? Are are all these drafts terrible? Is two of the future? Are they going to trade for Deshaun Watson? Which you know, something like again, you and I kept saying, "You like that cross that bridge if it actually happens." Um, And all of a sudden. Everything is a lot happier in Miami. A lot of that has to do with the schedule, but I want to talk about the non-schedule reasons because um, I think this is a team that really needs to take stock of like who they are and where they are going into this offseason if they don't make the playoffs, which is, you know, I mean, they're still in the mix, but more likely than not um, because there are a lot of good things happening there, it looks like. Um, starting with the defense. The two is the big question, but... This defensive turnaround is remarkable. Um, And it's, I mean, so from weeks one through seven, this is a pass defense that ranked 32nd in opposing QBR since week eight. They are second in the NFL. They blitz at the highest rate, which is not surprising to anyone. But, and this shocked me, they ranked first in the NFL in pressure when they don't blitz. Um, I think what's so crazy about this field and like what's happened is it's not like they were missing superstars. You know what I mean? Like the, like yeah. it, it's so crazy. Cause it's not like, Oh, well, you know, Davian Howard, like, no, they do largely the same guys. I mean, there are a few, you know, players who missed some games. Raekwon Davis was out here and, but for the most part, like this is a unit that just simply turned it around. 
They have, and I don't want to. I, I hate that this is the first comment I make, but I want to add the context of this. The schedule. So, <laughs> the, the schedule, right? I mean, if you look at the, yeah. the five offensive lines that they have played during their their win streak, like you tell me which one is the one that strikes fear into opposing defenses. Yeah. The Texans certainly don't. The Ravens do not right now with all their injuries. The Jets, the Panthers, the Dolphins, I'm sorry, the Giants, like obviously those are five of Oof. probably the bottom, what, eight that or is, 12 offensive yeah. lines in the NFL. But that does not take away from the fact, like I do feel like it's important to note that winning five games in a row is difficult no matter who you play every single week. So um, it's an impressive showing from the Dolphins, and you're right. It feels like, and I don't know what we can point to, whether it was all the speculation about Deshaun Watson or not, but at some point the team just settled down, and it was just here. Here's who we have, right? And maybe, maybe it is the, the fact that there there haven't been rumors surrounding Deshaun Watson because the trade deadline is behind us, right? And maybe that's part of the reason why they've kind of known like this is our group, right? I think probably things are a bit unsettling when every week your quarterback is having to answer questions like, you know, do you think you're a part of the future? You know, should you be the starter every single week? Things that are uncommon for a quarterback to have to answer, especially one that in Tua that was by far their best option on the roster at the time. Jacoby Brissett is, you know, he's a a veteran, certainly, but he's been ineffective as a starter in recent stints. Uh, but they have been so fun to watch defensively. They have a lot of the tenets of their 2020 season, which was predicated upon being absolutely incredible up front on defense and being extremely opportunistic. It felt like every fumble forced, they found a way to snatch it, oftentimes returning it for big hitting yardage plays, sometimes touchdowns. Some of those things are coming back right now, and they're getting some significant contributions from their two first-round picks, yes. the first two picks on defense of this year's draft, which can't be overlooked. No. I mean, Jalen Phillips, uh, the last time I checked, uh, six sacks in his past three games. Which I think I have the, the right three-game sample size right now. Like He's been exceptional, a guy that came into the draft with some questions because of his health history, but had plenty of talent during his time at UCLA and then Miami, stayed home, and he's been a, a game-changer for them. And then Javon Holland, their second-round pick out of Oregon, I thought his breakout moment to the to the national scene was the Thursday night game against Baltimore. He's been unbelievable. And what he's doing right now is he's like on, on every single snap. He's in a different yeah. It's crazy. He'll blitz off the edge. He'll play in the deep middle third. He'll play as a punt returner. Like he is – I'm trying to think of like an appropriate comp for him right now and nothing comes to mind. He's been a total game-changer for them. They've really, really, really struck, I think, gold with their – three first round or three first picks this year, Jalen Waddle being the other one, of course, which, you know, we can go back and deliberate whether trading a first round pick to move up five slots to get Jalen Waddle was good or bad football business. That's a different conversation. But in terms of what he's brought to the table so far this year, he's been exceptional as well. He has helped carry that offense in recent weeks. Yeah. So the rookies, I think you got to feel good that, especially after I think some mixed drafting, especially with the offensive lines and all that. Like, yeah, I mean, 2020 think, was a bad draft for them. If you just go back and look at three first round picks, I it's mean, it's tough. Got, yeah, I mean, Robert Hunt's played okay. He's in the lineup. But, yeah, he's inactive. And Austin yeah. Jackson switched to guard and he's an underperforming player. Tua has been, you know, whatever you do, he's been solid, right? Um, we'll get to Tua. We'll get to Tua. <laughs> but for, for the, the, the defense, I think you got to feel good that you have like a young core. Um, you know, Agba is still super solid, but like to have Jalen Phillips, who it, it's interesting. You talked about kind of like the um, way they move Holland around, you know, Phillips too. They use him inside. I, I think both of his sacks 
last week came lined up outside, but um, they seem to view him as a chess piece as well. And he seems to be getting better as the season goes along. And while I, I do think schedule has a lot to do with it, I also think like having these young guys get more snaps every week um, has helped on top of that. And yeah, like the, this is a, a defense that plays, I think the most time in the NFL, you know, and, and so to having a young safety like that to complement their already strong group, obviously lost McCordy this year. It's just tremendous. And um, yeah, they, they will see, you know, they've got, um, the jets again, the saints Titans the Patriots. So it's not like the, well, I guess, you know, offensive line wise, it gets harder, but the, you know, not super dominant passing attacks. So I expect yeah, the defense games they can, they can get the job done. I, I yeah. will say this too about, um, and I, I always use the 2020 bucks as a good example of this is that even if the schedule is not like, even if you're not playing the top of the food chain teams, there's a confidence that's been built this right. year in those past five games for that Miami defense. And I'm sure if Miami played whoever you believe the best offense in football to be, the Bucks or whoever it is, they'd probably go into that game saying, we can hang with them. We got what it takes, right? Which I think is, I know it's mental. It's not, you know, it's, it's, but I think that stuff does matter. There's a, there's a mental side to football in all sports that I think is really critical. They've developed over these past five games. And I think if they hold serve in these next couple of games, and then or at seven and seven, excuse me, eight and seven down the stretch, like they could be a frisky team in late December and early January. So I you know, I also think like thinking about the defense and the the tone and what it feels like inside the building, to be paired with an offense that is moving the ball you know well over the last four games also has to be of some relief. Um an offense that during their win streak, win streak, pardon me. Ranked seventh in passing expected points added per play, thirtieth in rushing, which I want to get to in a second. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's an offense that is unlike any in the NFL. Um, and I've seen that there's a lot of debate on the internet about this. Um, Ben Solak, who's uh, on our show, I don't know if you happen to read his piece about how it's like built out of RPOs and how Tua's uh the best RPO quarterback in the NFL. But is he more than that? Was kind of like the premise of the piece. It's very good. You guys should check it out. Sure, yeah, and. Golly, watching them on Sunday again. I watched the whole game against the Giants in real time because it was on locally in Connecticut. So I had it on my big TV. I feel like every play was an RPO. I wasn't charting it, but it is no joke how much they use it. And it works. It, they're good at it. Um, this is an offense that has a ton of pre-snap motion, a lot of speed, obviously, underneath. Two gets the ball out super quick. Uh, and they have playmakers who can like do fun things with the ball in space. I think the question is, okay, can it work? Can it continue working? And also, what does it mean for Tua Tagovailoa? Mm-hmm. So I think that um, a couple of things here. First of all, like there are certainly ways to undercut some of the merits of an offense that is death by a thousand paper cuts at its. Yeah. I mean, greatest, highest, or highest form, right? At the same time, like, isn't the essence of coaching to identify what your players do well and maximize those talents? And if you want this offensive line to hold up in pass protection 
with a group of receivers that up until recently was basically Jalen Waddle, and that's it, right? I mean, Albert Wilson's been on the field a bunch for them, and recently Devontae Parker returned. Yeah, Isaiah the Devontae Ford. Parker back shoulder catch in this game, by the way, it was so sick. Sorry. Yeah, he, he's like he's one of the okay. best at those back shoulder. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's just something he's always focused on in his career, but I get like four or five of those per year where I'm like, he he is really unique in that regard. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not exactly again. This is not the Bucks in terms of offensive personnel for their quarterback to throw to. So I admire the fact that they have done the things in the way in which they have done those things. Now, the question probably is pretty simple, right? Is that when you're playing ahead of schedule, which the Dolphins have been because they have been able to hold on to or build up early leads, it's easy to do those things, yeah. right? The question probably becomes if you ever fall behind to a more explosive team. Uh, how do you hold up in that regard? Or if you know if you are nursing a lead against an explosive offense and you can't run the football that effectively, how much does that reduce your ability to be a clock-killing team that can play in a lot of different ways? Which I think there are offenses right now, the Bucs probably the best at this, as you highlighted, that are no matter what they have to do, they're going to be able to do it. Miami, a little bit more limited in that regard. But they've at least made they've at least made progress. They've at least developed some of that confidence. And you know, for Tua, there are a lot of ways that we could slice some of his numbers and, and say you know this, that, and the other. Not as impressive. And certainly, he's still, I think, is pretty clearly number three amongst the three quarterbacks in his class that were taken in the top six picks. But he's made significant progress. He showed a ton of toughness. He's been good situationally for them recently. Like there should be some there should be some good vibes right now in Miami. Uh, despite whatever limitations they may have, and no matter the fact that their hole, the hole they dug, the, they dug themselves in, it's, it's one and seven is significant. That's going to be hard to overcome. You know, I think my question for him is: if they can get the offensive line fixed, will it be in time? You know what I mean? Because sure. watching him, he's super accurate, throws a crazy catchable ball. One thing he's really improved at this year is the decision making, which is was something that kind of at times I thought was up and down uh, in terms like just taking care of the football. Uh, but, and I think part, this is part of the reason why, you know, like his numbers don't look as good when, you know, he's holding the ball longer. Right. And he's, uh, he gets it out so quick now. Um, some of it is like, he just looks uncomfortable and like, I, maybe I, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I, I don't want to like psychoanalyze him, but he looks like he's like, I'm about to get it. <laughs> like, and, I, you know, it is one of those situations where I'm like, God, just get this line fixed so that like, I almost feel like I can't, I, I have no idea how he looks in a normal offense because the line has been so bad and it's bad at pass pro. It is, you know, I alluded to the run game being bad. The line is terrible at run blocking. Uh, the backs are getting hit like way behind line scrimmage. Um, and it, and it's, wild to think how much better this RPO game could even be, which is already very good if they actually had a run game. But yeah, I, I think like Tua has done enough this year to be the Dolphins quarterback next year in my mind. I think they did that trade. So now it's like, okay, what resources can we spend to improve protection, which is you know, clearly the area of need for this football team. So yeah. well, how many starters right now on the offensive line are you certain that are long-term fixtures for that group going forward? Boy, I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard one, right? And it could be that, you know, all five are. It could more likely be that they probably have, you know, at least two spots to fill on the offensive line. It might be that some of those things sort of set, you know, 
Liam Eikenberg is still a really young player. He's still a rookie, right? So it's hard to say, you know, if, if you're not a believer, which I think he's been, you know, there's been enough to think that there's between his college and pro career. Like I think there's a chance he'll end up being a pretty solid starter. But I think that's the big questions Miami has to answer this offseason. And the good news is they're still equipped with an additional first round pick to do so, right? So they do have some. Um, did, I, did I screw that up? Do they no longer have an extra first round pick this year? They do not. They have oh, their. They just have San Francisco's because their own has been shipped to Philly. But still, they have an extra first round pick in 2023, which affords them a bit extra flexibility that they can address needs more aggressively this year. Whether it's uh, trading future draft capital or the fact that they do have a relatively clean cap sheet because they do have so many young players that have been drafted over the past few years because they did go through an effective teardown. All right, Dolphins fans, don't yell at me for not talking about you. There's so much anger. Um, <laughs> Any fan base, you can find a lot of that anger, though, right? I know. I'm rooting for Tua, man. I just yeah. Yeah. that he gets his mom flowers is the only time he leaves his house. What a sweetie. Oh, my gosh. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about two divisional matchups with massive implications. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Field, let's start with Dallas-Washington, which is a game that suddenly now looks very different than it did even three weeks ago. <laughs> um, Washington is coming off of – they're hot. They're hot like Miami. Was it three three games, four games for them? Uh, and great, yeah. even though Dallas won, it feels like everyone there is panicking. So – now we're asking, can Washington catch Dallas for the division? Washington definitely in the playoff mix. Big game for both these teams. Um, I want to start with the Dallas offense and the Washington defense. Speaking of turnarounds, let's, let's start there. Like the Washington defense, holy smokes. 
<laughs> come out. Just like I, I think statistically the worst defense in the NFL in a lot of metrics, certainly struggling against the pass. Very confusing to people like myself who thought they would be one of the best defenses in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you lose your star edge rusher, Chase Young. Monta Sweat has been hurt. And uh, we reported this, right? Tested positive for COVID. So he might yep. miss this game. Okay. And boom, during this win streak, you turn it around, and it's not like the Dolphins. They've played. They played the Bucks. Um, they played the Raiders, who you know have been up and down. But the Raiders often smooth the ball in Dallas. So let's start there and just like that, the, talk about what's behind that turnaround and how Dallas might fare against them. Yeah, this is interesting. I don't have a good theory as to why this Washington defense has been so much better, in part because. Maybe they're most talented, certainly one of their most talented defensive players. Chase Young's been out, as is Montez Sweat, who you just mentioned. Chase Young tore his ACL. We're not going to see him until next year. Montez Sweat had a broken jaw that we'll see when he returns following this COVID absence. But I just don't know how um, you get better with those two players off the field for the better part of a month right now. And maybe it's just everybody else who stepped things up, you know, personnel-wise, the most notable change that's been made over the past month, maybe a little bit longer than that, is that Landon Collins yeah. has become a linebacker effectively, yeah. uh, a guy who was a safety and a very good one at his apex, uh, but feels a little more comfortable now playing in the box where he can be, he can he, he packs a bigger punch than you might expect from a player of his stature. He's really taken to that role. And perhaps some of this is just leveling off relative to where they were at the beginning of the year. Like they certainly weren't as bad as their numbers suggested, at least in terms of talent. And now they're back to where they should be. There've been a couple of like absolute stars, like you know, you and I sort of live for these kind of players, like Jonathan Allen, just unbelievably ridiculous. He, he's the best player on the defense. Yeah, he's crazy. He's, he's the best player. Just, that, and, awesome. and this is the thing: the strength of the defensive line is the interior between him and Deron Payne. So, it like you ask, like how you know, we ask, like how, how the heck are they still getting pressure? And um, those two players are so good and so dominant. I think they are able to cover up a lot. So, they, I mean, he's unreal. He, he's unbelievable. And I will say that, uh, you know, we sometimes will throw the term over and underrated out too often. And I feel like generally speaking, the underrated players tend to be the defensive linemen just because or interior offensive linemen, because it's really hard to quantify their impact frequently. And Jonathan Allen, I hope, has graduated from being underrated. But if he hasn't, uh, love watching him play. He's such a disruptive force. Every time I see him, I always applaud his face mask because he goes with the Big fat middle bar, which he's probably like one of five guys, maybe less than that in the NFL that still wears the middle bar across his face mask. He's old school in every single way. They've been much better. Um, And, you know, I would tell you, like, we were just talking about how, you know, Miami's schedule a little bit softer, and that's part of the reason why they played better defense. Not to take away from it, but it's part of the the context. Washington did this to the Bucs. They did it to Tom Brady coming off a bye. 29-19, they held him to less than 20 points. Coming off the bye, like that's not expected at all against Tom Brady, right? It's it's the GOAT. It's a team that had two weeks to prepare, and it's a team that has an unbelievable number of weapons. Some of this is legit. Some of this is like truly yeah. sustainable going forward. The big question is whether or not they have enough offensive horsepower that so. if they play a game where if, if Dallas scores 28 on them, like is this a if, if the, Dallas scores 28, can Washington fire back? I, yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Well, well, definitely. Like, yeah, we'll get to Heineke in a second. Yeah, I, I think like what you said, a lot of it is just kind of regression um, and like just a bunch of 
Although it was, dude, watching this Washington defense early in the season, it looked like they didn't practice together sometimes. Like I was just the blown coverages. It was, it was it bananas. Be, by the way, yeah, uh, just bizarre. But um, I think moving Collins is huge, as you said. He's been also like I, 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 I remember in October he he publicly said he wasn't happy about it. Well, I hope he's happy now because he looks awesome. Like he's so much better in that role as a blitzer. He's a good tackler, and then you get Cam Curl, who is the better safety playing safety. Um, so, I, you know, I think versus Dallas, I feel like, God, I feel like such a broken record when I keep saying like, they're just going to try to keep everything in front of them and play zone. But mm. I really feel like that's the case. Um, and I think for Dallas, like it's you're coming off of a game where you won by a pretty significant margin, but don't feel great about it against Vegas. I think like, there were a lot of excuses for this offense for a while. Oh, they're missing Tyron Smith. They're missing various offensive linemen, Lyle Collins, Amari Cooper's out. And what's been alarming is as those players have come back, that the offense still doesn't look like it did in the early part of the season. Mm-hmm. I I throw out a few explanations. I want to hear what your thoughts are. One Ezekiel Elliott's got to stop getting snaps, man, like over Tony Pollard. I don't know what the balance is, but he looks – he's clearly banged up. Tony Pollard has way more juice. That's a mistake. Two, Dak has just been intermittently inaccurate. Um, Still makes, like, some really amazing plays, but, like, some of this is on him. I also would like to see him run more. That's something that I've noticed in the last three – two or three games. There's been wide-open rush lanes for him, and he's not taken off – and then the third third thing is like Kellen Moore. Like, I disagree with some of the decisions that they're making. Um, just in terms of like run pass, the style of runs. So I would like to see just like a little bit more creativity on offense. So a couple of things, lots to digest there, but let me start with I don't think Zeke's role is changing at all. I think organizationally, there's just so much investment <sighs> that I think, and we know that their organizational dynamics are different than literally any other team in the NFL. I uh, should note that as of this conversation, Tony Pollard, because of a foot injury, is uncertain to play in week 14. So I think we'll probably see even more of Zeke, despite the fact that he's been banged up. But I hear you, the lack of explosive plays is clearly apparent. Uh, Zeke hasn't had a 20-yard touch in over a month. That is part of it. I think there's something to be said, Mina, that early season success is not to be ignored, but I have always felt like the first month, maybe even a little bit longer of the season because of the very protracted training camps and preseasons that we have now is teams sort of figuring out their way. And there are going to be teams that that start hot and those that level off, like maybe the rest of the league is just catching up to them, so to speak, right? And Dallas did start really hot. They played pretty effective offense for the first month plus. They've had some games since there, but it feels like defenses are finding ways to neutralize them a little bit. One thing, then, and you and I had this conversation in a different forum recently, is that Dak is no longer a runner. And perhaps that's because of the fact that he dealt with a calf injury earlier this year, perhaps because of the obvious fact that he had one of the most gruesome injuries we've seen from a quarterback in quite some time, a little over a year ago as well. But he's no longer a threat in that regard, and that just changes the dynamics of your offense. He's a pocket passer now, and he's still got unbelievable ability to dominate as a pocket passer. But they've just been, as you mentioned, I don't know what the 
accuracy issues that rear themselves every other, every third week are, but it's changed the way that their offense has been able to uh, have been able to perform. I'm sure Cowboys would tell you, and this is fair, that they have dealt with numerous injury issues. They've had Amari Cooper in and out of the lineup. They've had C.D. Lamb in and out of the lineup. As yeah. we know, Lyle Collins has been in and out of the lineup, not just because of injury, but also because of suspension. Tyron Smith, that stuff is difficult. But you know, I, I think everybody else that's listening to this podcast is saying, all right, come check my team's roster and yeah, tell me right. about it's injury. Like, oh, Every team you only injury have issue, two right? of your three star wide receivers. Cooper right. only had two targets on Thanksgiving, and I feel like that's probably going to change. Um, yeah, we'll see. It, 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 it's It'll be interesting to see how they perform with like a fully loaded offense and a fully loaded defense because yep. everybody's back. Uh, yep. At least unless I'm missing something. Randy yeah, Gregory, Randy Gregory is back. officially doesn't and get to return today. Yep. This sets up what I think is one of the most fascinating like football questions, which is how are they going to use Micah Parsons in this game? So the Washington offense, um, for those who haven't been watching, is talk about death by a thousand cuts. They are death by a thousand screens. And uh, Taylor Heineke, who I think is can legally only be be described as scrappy or feisty. You can only use one of those two adjectives. Um, he has been using his legs and, and converting some third downs for him. He also has put the harm, ball in harm's way and should have been pick sixth last week. So there's a real chance for this very opportunistic Dallas defense, I think, to get some turnovers if they're able to get pressure. And they've got a fully loaded battle station up front. Lawrence is back. Gallimore is back. Digizoa is there on the inside. Still there. Still good. Randy Gregory is back. So you got Micah Parsons, who you've been using every kind of way, who can rush the passer, who can tackle, who can cover. Field, how would you approach this particular matchup with Parsons? Um, Probably Prey would be my first order of business here. He's been unbelievable, right? Um, Dallas, I think you probably agree with this, and I think a lot of Cowboys fans agree with this. Even with the reinforcements uh, of Randy Gregory and the continued presence of Demarcus Lawrence and some of the other defensive linemen that you just mentioned, like I think I want Micah Parsons on the on the edge every single snap, just because there's so Ooh. much more disruption when you're an, a pass rusher than you are a stand up inside linebacker, right? Um, that being said, like my guess is that, and this stuff, like sometimes we overcomplicate things, right? And um, when a team has a great pass catcher on offense, especially a tight end who plays a decent amount of snaps in line or slightly flexed, it's not that hard for a defense to do one thing that is simple but is effective, and that's to put two hands on that player right away. Conversely, there is no opportunity in which I feel comfortable with an offensive tackle blocking Micah Parsons unto himself one-on-one, especially because with Washington, Sam Cosme, their right tackle, their second-round pick out of out of Texas, has been up and down. Uh, he's had some really bright moments that you can see the promise, and there have been other moments that have reminded us all that he's a rookie. And Charles Leno has been you – know, he's just been solid as usual, no surprise there, right? But still, this guy, Micah Parsons, is – I know you and I feel strongly about this, clearly the defensive rookie of the year, maybe the defensive player of the year, at least in the in the conversation. T.J. Wad and Miles Garrett and a couple others are just ridiculous right now. Um but I, I, I really do believe, like, if I'm a Dallas fan, I want to see as much of him on the edge as possible. But yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do want as much of him on the edge as I can find. 
especially like when you get into a situation where Antonio Gibson isn't a threat, right? And I, mm-hmm. I do think, especially with, you know, but Washington lost Logan Thomas for the season, luckily not yep. a torn ACL, but he's a very important player in that offense. And I think um, this is an offense that it, all they want to do is play ball control and keep Dallas off the field. And, That's it. Um, weeks ago, yeah. Monday night, there was a t- there was a time in which we flashed the graphic, and I, I I'm, I'm kicking myself for not knowing this, but it was like the average depth of target for Taylor Heineke was like 2.25 yards. Now they won the game against Seattle. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like that was the wrong approach, but it was like, they are ball control at its finest. And it's not like the players they have at the wide receiver group are like the most dynamic after the catch. Darren McLaurin certainly is, but like beyond that, Miami Brown and DeAndre Carter and guys that are, you know, they're, they're, I think Brown's going to be a good player going forward, but still, this is not exactly the most explosive. This is not peak, Barry Sanders out there after the catch, right? So um, they are ball control at its highest form, and they're another team that I, I look forward to seeing what happens. If I, I'll, see, I'll be interested to see how Washington responds if they are no longer playing again ahead of schedule. However you want to describe it, yeah. they're playing a close game or a game with the lead. Mm. I'm leaning Dallas in this one. I'm not leaning Dallas. I told you I, I, on You're first take, I'm I said Dallas is going to smash them, and I didn't, I didn't yeah. really believe it, but I felt like I had to because. Stephen A. was there. You picking Dallas too? I'm picking Dallas. This feels like a what was a like Mike McCarthy's got some of the most unusual motivational tactics, right? There was the watermelon last year that he smashed before a game and ended up winning. And I think the most recent one wasn't it like monkey butt or something like paste that like if you've got a little if you got irritation you you put the like he wanted the guys to feel irritated like light a fire under their butt which if it works sure okay I'm I'm also like. I wonder what that like. What's the audience reception there when you're in the room with like a bunch of twenty <laughs> to thirty five year olds who are millionaires and like highly accomplished athletes? Are they sitting there thinking like, "Yeah, coach, like let's put some monkey paste on right now, whatever it is." Well, he's back. <laughs> I think right. He's back. Like he's back. Yes, he's back okay. in the building every Wednesday. All right. So, I want to wrap by talking about another divisional matchup, one where it feels like whoever loses their season is over. Which is cr- crazy for the Ravens because mm, it's yeah. it's not actually over. But given all the injuries, I I think like as a fan, you probably feel that way. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If if the Ravens, no, okay. So if they win this game, they're actually basically locked for the playoffs. So it's not over. So I don't want to. That was very dramatic. The Browns need to win this game. Right. Yeah. I was gonna say it's definitely a, a you know loser goes home game if you're the Browns. The Ravens are gonna have life, and you know so many weird things could happen, especially with a week in which the Chargers, yeah. Bengals, amongst other AFC teams, play NFC teams. Like, it's possible that, you know, the, the Chargers could lose to the Giants. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's possible. And also the oh, that, the, the Bengals lose to the 49ers and the Ravens could sort of hold water here. Same with the Pittsburgh Steelers playing on Thursday night against the Vikings. Anyways, though, yeah, this is a gut check here, Mina, because I remember – I do a radio segment every every Friday with a uh, with the ESPN affiliate for Kansas City, and I remember after the first game of the season, we were talking takeaways, and it was like, you know, we're not going to go crazy here, but I was like, you know what, my big takeaway was from that game, other than Kansas City winning thirty three twenty nine, I was like, mm-hmm. Cleveland's legit, like Cleveland's like legit good. That was my thought there, right? Mm-hmm. And they have not been, and it's not like they lost a bunch of pieces from last year. Like a lot of the principal players are back. You and I have talked about this offline is that like some of those defensive reinforcements they acquired in free agency, I have no idea what has happened to those players for much yeah. of the season. And I, 
Can't figure it out for the life of me. I know Baker Mayfield has got every injury on uh, imaginable right now, but their passing game presents zero threat. Or, I mean, yeah. I mean, essentially. Well, the Ravens, the last time these teams played, the Ravens were like, pass the ball, pass the ball, please, pass please, the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball. Yeah. So Cleveland's a really, I mean, they're just a fascinating team because, and I would love to reinvite myself onto your show at some point and just do <laughs> quarterback decisions that teams oh. face. I don't think there's a more compelling quarterback decision in the next however many months, four months, let's call it, until the league year begins than the Cleveland Browns face with Baker Mayfield. There are a million different tentacles to it. It's not uncharted, but you have a number one overall pick, and I'm not so sure that you can afford to pay him big money right now. There's just not enough evidence to suggest that a $35 million per year or more investment is worthwhile. There seems to be more risk than reward right now, in my opinion. Dude, if Dallas can drag that out with Dak and get it, and like, there's no way Cleveland, by all accounts, a fairly progressive front office is going to fe- is going to sign Baker to deal just because of his status. Um, I would agree. But in this particular game, man, so we're coming off the bye, so hopefully he's healthier. He's got to be healthier than the Browns pass. They're probably the Ravens pass defense, which just lost Marlon Humphrey. They're so banged up. This is a defense with Baltimore. We can talk about the other side of football in a second that has been playing decent football, frankly, um, in recent weeks. And something I I wanted to check this because I was like, I feel like they've been really solid against the run. And actually, since week eight, they've been fourth in the NFL in EPA, EPA per play against the run. The front seven has been holding it down, struggled more versus the pass. And as I said earlier, like it, the last time these teams played, they stacked the box and just dared Baker to throw the ball, and he could not. Since that time, he has been 31st in on-target percentage, 26 in QB. I mean, whatever. We all have eyes. We see what it is. <laughs> like I'm, and, and look, they're, they're missing. Like they lost Jack Conklin, but outside of that, it's and and the Browns receivers. I do want to add as a defensive Mayfield. Well, the, the main defensive Mayfield is that he's clearly still hurt, right? But the other secondary defense, I would say, is they don't really separate. Like, you know, there's the this there's really good screens in this offense and. When they're able to manufacture ways to get guys, get them the ball in space, I get, you know, like I feel like I'm using really generic terms. Um, the play action offense is still decent at springing guys open, but for the most part, they do not have skill players who can just get open on this team right now. They don't. Um, and that's they, not they not, not, like, well, not they like thing, they just don't. So, yeah. If I'm Brett, the Cleveland, though, however, I'm looking at this matchup and I'm thinking, Baker Mayfield, can you throw the ball? Because if not, I would start Case Keenum because this is all you got. Like that, you should be able to beat Baltimore through the air. Gosh, I love that you're willing to go there, right? Because it's like just invoking Case Keenum's name is like, you know, just by nature, is sort of like you know, it's, it's stirring the pot a little bit, right? But right now, it, it almost feels like. Baker Mayfield's toughest enemy could be himself, right? And there's pride involved and there's a contract potentially involved as well. But you're right. Like the Browns offense, we we simplified it dramatically. But a few minutes ago, you said the Ravens, the last game, basically told the Browns, throw it 50 times on us, go ahead. Why would you change that mentality this upcoming weekend, especially with a most likely fully healthy Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which – you know, they've both dealt with injury issues or COVID issues recently. Like, 
I got to figure that if, if I'm the Ravens, if Baker's throwing it more than 35 times in this game, it's probably because we're winning this game by a reasonable margin. So on the other side of the ball, you alluded to some of the personnel, I guess the underwhelming performance by some players on defense. This is a wildly inconsistent defense. There are weeks to me field where they look like a top 10 group. And then there are weeks where they look like a bottom 10 group and it is all over the place. Um, And I got to think like the defensive coordinator in Cleveland, Joe Woods, like this is gut check time for him because they've invested so much into this defense, both in free agency and the draft. And you're facing a Baltimore offense that has been bad. Um, You're facing a Baltimore offense that's not only been bad in recent weeks, uh, but also bad in a very predictable way. Mm -hmm. Uh, They cannot run the ball, which is insane to say about Baltimore. Uh, And Lamar Jackson cannot beat the Blitz right now. It is not, by the way, it is not, he has done it before in his career. (laughs) So this is not like a, you know, silver bullet, but it has been this year last few games they have been terrible against it um and there was we talked about the miami defense earlier the miami game was kind of where people were like whoa holy smokes just send you know an all-out go cover zero but the pittsburgh game i thought was really telling because that's not a that's not a all-out blitz team they're much more judicious it's a lot of zone blitzing on early downs when lamar would have like an outlet and he would say nah so I, so far, like they, this Baltimore offense has not found a solution for it. And if I'm Cleveland, I'm watching that and thinking, all right, we know what we got to do. It, you have to do it. Like it's, it's not, it's the simplest decision they'll make all week is simply continuing to follow what's worked because Baltimore has had multiple weeks to prove that they have any sort of antidote and they have not been able to muster that up. If you look at the personnel in this Baltimore Ravens roster, like which wide receiver besides Hollywood Brown scares you? And the answer is right now, nobody. Rashad Bateman is going to be a good player, but his role was dramatically reduced last week. And I don't believe it was because of injury. I don't know why it was, but he's not playing that much. The running game should not scare you whatsoever. It's Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. And part of what makes Hollywood Brown so difficult to defend is he has elite speed. Well, over the first seven games of the season, his average depth of target was around 12 yards. Recently, it's down under eight yards, and that all aligns, right? You can't protect yeah. Lamar Jackson. They're blitzing more and more and more. Well, it's hard to take a shot down the field when the quarterback's under duress within two seconds of the snap. So um, I'm not saying the Ravens' offense is, is is flawed to the point that it can't be dangerous still going forward, but until it shows it has some answer to what has been clearly the approach from every team it's played dating back to that Miami game, then if I'm Cleveland, like keep doing the same thing because you do have – good defensive back, you have good athletes, you have smart, savvy players, like, you know, John Johnson III, who has had a roller coaster season, like, he is smart enough to, if he's the blitzer, he's going to be able to know what he's supposed to do, or if he's the back end, like, he should be able to get the players lined up in the spots that need to. Like, if I'm Joe Woods, like, go find that Miami tape, watch it until Sunday at whatever time the game <laughs> begins, whether it's 1 o'clock, 12.55, and then just go out there and play ball. Like, it has to be that simple, which I know that, like, yeah. nuance matters and all those things, but sometimes – not overthinking it is really where football can be at its best. Do you think Lamar 
in this offense can like so the defense the Ravens defense is just so banged up I will say like the front seven's been playing well Mm -hmm. um you know you got young players like Patrick Queen had one of his best games uh Duffy always been good that's exciting offensively it's you know the the line is what's been the issue to me with Lamar like the line has been an issue all season right but the struggles against the blitz are recent watching him on the in the Pittsburgh game some of it is like this passing game is just still extremely gross and it's like wild that a lot of the times they look like they have no plan but I also think Lamar is forcing it feeling like he has to go for chunk plays when on you know first and 10 there are opportunities to pick up five to six yards underneath he's got to take the layups right and you know the the layups are not the sexiest plays, they don't make SportsCenter or NFL Live highlight packages, but they're how you take pressure off yourself, off your offensive line. And, you know, Lamar, as we know, like he's an amazing talent, sort of pristine accuracy is never going to be the hallmark of his game. This is not whoever you believe to be the most, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, whoever, like that's not going to be what Lamar lives off of. But because of their speed, because of his speed specifically, they can really space the field for all 53 and one-third of it horizontally. There's got to be opportunities for him to just stockpile seven-yard gains left and right and take some pressure off that offensive line. Yeah, And he's got to hit the layup. He has to hit the layups. Like I don't know where you ended up on the final play of the two-point conversion against Pittsburgh. Oh, I um, loved it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in terms of the uh, the throw there, whether that was oh, you know, it was TJ Watt was a, so clearly affecting it that I kind of was like, uh, you know, I, I think it was like one of those things where like we ended up talking so much about the coaching, and I was like, nah, this this defensive player just like made an, sure. a really good play. Yeah. Um, but Lamar needs hit layups because there yeah. are layups available, and like yeah, yeah, you know, that's part of the reason. I think that's part of the reason why they have been such a low frequency. Uh, passing offense to targeting the running backs because most of the running back throws are like entering the line of scrimmage and those are based off yeah. of like green precision. They're based off of Drew Brees putting the ball exactly where Alvin Kamara needs it. Um, mm. But there are layups available for Lamar. I think he just needs to like, you know, calling on him to be a little bit more accurate in throws that I know he's capable of is not like some grand gesture. That's I think just from the reality. Cleveland standpoint, um, you just have to be able to contain him because he is obviously he's always been their most dangerous runner and he'll, he will check it down to his legs and, you know, it's where having Jeremiah with Carmoa is huge, but sure. man, I don't know. I hate this NFL season. It's like all about layups. It's like, it's like dad basketball. There's no like <laughs> fireworks it stinks. But, but, but conversely though, is that like some of the best football we're seeing being played right now is just by like doing the right things consistently, you know? And I think there's something admirable about that is that like some of the teams that are just doing smart things, Time and time and time again, like the Colts are just getting back on track because they're playing smart football, right? The Patriots have won whatever it is, six game, six or seven games in a row because they just make good decisions consistently. And, you know, the Bucks are nine and three right now because they generally speaking, as we talked about on offense, are just going to give or take whatever they you, you give them. And, well, you know, like we see a lot of that around the NFL right now, and it's pretty effective. It's like the sensitive or sensible sneaker of seasons and i hate it i miss patrick mahomes just going yolo but i know i know there's still time there's still time all right well he has touchdowns in three of his past six games hold hold that thought i'm gonna ask you a question about the chiefs actually not mahomes though about the chiefs after a quick break and now it's time for dinks and dunks i'm getting paid for this right 
As always, we wrap with Dinks and Dunks, part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with fans filled by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Okay, Field, Chiefs. Not I, I feel like there's nothing you to say about the Chiefs offense. I feel exactly the same about them that I have like the last few weeks. I do want to ask you a question about the Chiefs defense because we've talked about two defenses in um Washington and Miami that really turned it around. But the Chiefs defense made just as impressive of a leap, maybe the most impressive uh, over the last few weeks. So let me ask you this. There's been a few tweaks and this and that. What to you is the single, if you just pick one reason why you think, and I know you're more nuanced and there are many reasons, but what's one thing that really jumps out to you that explains why the Chiefs defense is playing so much better? Good players are playing better. That's really simple, and yeah. I know that. But like Chris Jones, his obviously the best game he's played was the game against the Cowboys. But he's been one of the best defensive linemen in football again, which is exactly what he is. Tyron Matthew is one of the most instinctive and natural playmaking safeties in the NFL. They've gotten good contributions from young cornerbacks. Their second round pick, Nick Bolton, has been better. He's been good all season, but I think he's been especially effective in recent weeks. I don't know that things have changed dramatically in terms of the scheme. I think they're just playing better football, which is the coldest take and the lamest answer, but I think <laughs> that's the genesis of it. No, on our show last week, uh, I was asked about this, and I was like, well, they're rushing the passer, tackling, and covering better. Really just great stuff from me. Um, you know, there's like little tweaks, like, you know, the Ingram trade, more Willie Gay Jr., more Juan Thornhill. But for the most part, you're right. It's just better execution. Nothing nothing sexy, but they look yeah. great. I believe I'm, I believe in them. I'm like a, I'm a Chiefs defense believer. Um, it doesn't feel fake. So question two. Green Bay is going to play Justin Fields on Sunday night. They are currently favored by 12 and a half points. Question for you is this. Right now, gun to your head, Packers or Bucks in the Super Bowl? This is hard for me. I'm having trouble with this. Yeah, it's the Bucks, and it's defaulting to things that are like muscle memory for me right now, which is that, you know, and, I, and this is again a cop out, right? But it's like Tom Brady. Don't worry about where he's playing. The the he can the 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 home field advantage of Green Bay can be neutralized. I know that last year the NFC Championship game it was the Bucks defense that won that game for them, but I think it's still the Bucks by the slightest of margins. Green Bay hopefully getting some reinforcements back yes. uh, on defense in the form of Jair Alexander and eventually as a Darius Smith. But David Bakhtiari remains out. Elton Jenkins is out. I trust the team that has a better offensive line right now, and that to me is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <sighs> Somewhere a Cardinals fan is screaming about disrespect. So, they deserve to be mad, but Monday night they get their chance to really show us. Like I, I, my take for this week is that I truly believe Monday night is the chance for the Cardinals to stamp their mark as like we are the best team. Like we'll see if we finish as the Super Bowl champions, but we are the best team. We have the most complete resume, which is this is not college football. But Monday night's a huge moment for them. So I want to throw out a take, and I want to for my third question and see what you think. So last week I did um, awards, and I okay. for MVP I said eh, it's probably Rodgers or Brady, you know. But um, and then the third would be Kyler, but he's missed the games. I want to throw out a take, which is that on Monday night, if Kyler has his equivalent of like a Heisman moment. He could be in contention still despite missing a few games. You know more about the league and its machinations and the voters and the politics than me. Do you agree that, though, that could be possible? He could be the leader in the clubhouse because he missed three games, which I know is, you know, that's what one, that's about 15% of the season, obviously, but still, like, 
three games, they won two of those, lost one. So it's not like, you know, if they got three and oh, scored 40 points a game and let up five, then it might be like, okay, well, hey, they're really good even without him, right? They got waxed by Carolina without him, 34 to 10. They're bad, only bad loss of the year, really. They're only bad, terrible start to finish game of the year. They also lost to Green Bay. I think there's a legit chance, though, because no quarterback is just throttling down on this rec on this this award. Brady probably has a chance as well. And there's obviously the track record there. But I think Kyler, if they have a great moment, like if they go 15 and two, which is in play, by the way, if you look yeah. at their schedule, he's the best player on the best team. I truly believe, like, if you go if they go, if they go 15 and two and nobody else is better than like 13 and four, I think it's his award to lose. I think he would have the narrative behind him as well, he's right? Like, you know, there's a lot in the narrative, right? Yeah. Like, he's the young, sexy player, sexy style of play. Like, you know, I mean, Rodgers has just been kind of steady this year. Brady, like, you know, even in like the big New England game, there were some struggles. Sure. If Kyler has like a super splashy, Monday night performance. I don't know. I feel like he's back in it. All right. Every week, not every week, but most weeks, I ask my guests to pick a game that I'm having trouble with. I don't know if you can guess which one I'm going to ask you. San Francisco, Cincinnati. Who's going to win? Man, I'm going to go with Cincinnati playing at home because there are so many potential injuries that San Francisco is dealing with right now. As you and I are having this conversation, it's uncertain whether Debo Samuel will play on Sunday. It's also uncertain who will play running back for San Francisco on Sunday. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, on top of being in the concussion protocol, had an MRI on a knee today on his knee. He's been unbelievable for them. Trey Sermon's on IR. Not that his season was worth anything. It was basically a redshirt year. Uh, they lost Trenton Cannon to a scary collision early. He's a special teams player, but still running back depth there. And then Jeff Wilson Jr. is also dealing with the knee flare-up. So I yeah. have no idea who's going to play running back for them. Potentially no Debo Samuel. I know George Kittle is a one-man wrecking crew, but still the the guts Dude. of this offense are that they want to be able to scheme the heck out of the running game and just devastate you. And that's hard to do when you're down to potentially Jamichael Hasty and Brian oh, Hill signed on Wednesday as your top two running backs. Debo is so fundamental to what this offense does. I obviously didn't play in the Seattle game and George Kittle was amazing, but the run game, just the addition of Debo is just a game changer for them. Yeah, um, totally. I lean since he too, if, if all that happens, so I'm going to keep my eye on it. All right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Um, so Lenny heard that you are probably going to miss the playoffs in the ESPN league. And he wants to know how it feels losing to his mom who just joined the league and sucks at fantasy football. Well, well yeah. When you phrase it that way, Lenny, a couple of things here. First of all, your mom is brilliant in every way, and she is excellent at fantasy football. Like sometimes she'll send me a theory or a question or a trade proposal, and she'll have so many different great thoughts that I'm like, you don't need my advice here. Um, your mom waxed my team about three weeks ago in a game in which I thought I had a chance to win. Uh, it has been a tough year for the Irish Twins. It has only uh, solidified our belief, though, that this offseason is the most important in my fantasy football history. If I don't find a way to – if I'm not the J.J. Watt of the fantasy offseason, you can probably dismiss me from the league. I will never be wow. as prepared. Uh, this is my moment here. Uh, it's embarrassing, though, to be honest, Lenny. Your mom's team is really good, and I've said it, I'm rooting for her team to win the whole thing. Well, now you made it all nice at the end. But, uh... Sorry. Sorry.